Amen. Now let's get into this. So over this past little while, we've been taking the time to just talk about what the Lord has been getting us ready, equipping us for, and even going into this year. And he said that there will continue to be lots of shaking, even naturally speaking. The world is going to shake more and more. I mean, it seems like every week you see something, there's something new that's going on that's a little bit, hmm, what's going on around here? And that's not a surprise to the Lord. He knew all this was to happen. So what do we do as his church? Do we throw up our hands and just say, well, I guess it's all over. We just got to hang on, hope to God that Jesus comes really soon. I mean, yes, we want him to come back. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the stance where we're taking going, oh, I guess it's just all over. The devil's going to just have his way. He's going to do what he wants to do. No, we are not those people who draw back and just say, oh, whatever the devil wants to do. We are here as his church, and we are aggressive in our dependency upon him, that we are going after him with every fiber of our being. We're not going to allow the distractions of this natural age take away the beauty and the wonder and the amazingness and the strength of our God. Now, I believe the Lord in this season is telling you and I to get deep roots. Go deeper in this thing. And how do we become aggressive in our dependency upon God? How do we develop deep, strong roots? Is by the simple word, continue. Continue, continue, continue. A lot of times, sadly to say that a lot of times we are looking for the new prophetic word. But more importantly is you need to continue in the things that you know. A lot of times, this and this, there's a thing that's in the body of Christ we have to be careful of is people, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of prophets that are giving voice to this, voice to that. You need the word of God that we become addicted to hearing a message from somebody, but we have to hear from the word of God for ourselves and allow the word of God to be our foundation and our strength, not some prophetic word. I mean, we become addicted to, I've got to hear that. What's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen in the future? You need to be established in what Jesus has already done. What happens in the future? Not necessarily for you and I to know. If the Lord reveals it, praise God. But that's not going to change how I'm going to live my life. How I live my life is based on his word. I take you at your word. If you said it, I believe it. And that's what you and I are getting established in, is in the word of God. Okay. Now, 2 Timothy 3.14, just to show you again some verses that we had used. This is what the Apostle Paul said again in these last days. If you read this in context, 2 Timothy chapter 3 really goes into, you have to be aware that in these last days, perilous times will come or the culture will be extremely intense. We know that we see that. So if you read down through that chapter, so he says, you must continue. Say with me, continue. You must continue to advance in strength. Now notice you don't see that the church is supposed to retreat, hide back in our holes, and just kind of hold on to everything's done. He says you advance. Yeah. Come on, say with me, advance. Church, we move forward. We continue to push the vision. We continue to preach the word of God. We continue yeah. to advance and say, Lord, what do you want to do? And we push it through. We are his body on this earth. So he says to advance in strength. How do you advance in strength? With the truth wrapped around your heart because you are assured of by God that he's the one who's taught you all these things. So how do we advance? We continue in the things that we have been taught. Secondly, now go to John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. We are to continue in the word of God. This is what Jesus told us. Jesus said to those Jews, now notice, who were they? They were believers in him. And they were told, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove to be my followers 
Verse 32, for if you embrace the truth or you embrace my reality, it will release true freedom into your lives. So again, a lot of times the question is, I just need to be free from, and you name an addiction, you name a, a behavior, you name something. I just wish I could get see free from that. I'm just praying for freedom. That is not the correct way to go about it. Not to say that you don't do it that way, but this is the way that Jesus said. He said, you continue in the truth, you embrace my reality, and the reality or the truth of God's word, it will make you free. That's the whole focus is you continuing. So it's not so much of, oh, I just need to get free issue. It's a continuing issue. You and I have to establish and get continually rooted in this word so that it becomes part of you and I. And freedom is automatic because God's word makes freedom available. That's what it is. It's got that power in it. It's got the DNA in it. I'm just looking for freedom. We'll spend some time in the freedom book. Next, we continue to follow him. In Colossians chapter 2 in the Living Bible, it says it like this. Just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. Live in vital union with him. Let your roots grow down, verse 7, into him and draw up nourishment from him. See that you go on growing in the Lord. And, keep going on, become strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with joy and thanksgiving for all that he has done. So bottom line is what he's saying is we are continue to follow him. We continue in the word. We continue in the things that we have been taught. Now, you know, as I was just spending some time praying about this, just this word came up in me that we continue in the word of God so that it's living in me richly. Colossians 3.16, again, verses that you know, but I want to just bring it to your attention again. He says, you have to let the word spoken by Christ have its home within you. You have to let it. What do you say with me? Let. let. So if I'm letting something in, that's on me. God is not going to force his word on you. He's not going to make you read your Bible, pull your head away from the TV, and all of a sudden get you in the Bible and read this. He's not going to force anything on us. So instead, we have to have this attitude of, I'm going to allow myself to make myself available to his word and allow it to dwell in me richly. He says, let the word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind, permeating every aspect of your being as you teach spiritual things. So what's, what's the, the goal is that it's permeating every part of me. Now, anybody ever been to, maybe as a family, maybe it's a, you know, a birthday party or some sort, anybody go to somebody's house and you didn't feel welcome? I'm putting up my hand. Is anybody, anybody, how did it make you feel? Awkward. Anything else? Did you want to stay there for very long? I didn't even want to touch their food, let alone hang out there. Forget about it. I'm not, I just, this is, ah. What did you want to do? You're looking for the exit. So a lot of times we spend ourselves going, oh man, I'm going to spend some time with God's word. That's true. But does God's word, does it feel at home in you? If you were to ask that question and say, word, do you feel comfortable in me? Have I rolled out the red carpet for you so that every time that I open up my word, every time that I spend time with this word, do you feel at home in me? This is a good place to be honest. Lord, do you feel comfortable? Does your word, does it feel like it's home on the inside of me? Because again, that's again how I, I'm in control of this atmosphere going on in here. Have I rolled out the red carpet for this word that all of a sudden the, red, the, words, the word is being spoken? I'm ready to receive it. 
This is one thing that we did with the youth many, many times was to create this respect or this awe or this honor for God's word. Because how I treat his word is how I treat him. And I know you know this, but I want to just bring it to you a little. What we used to do in the youth days is we would actually just talk, if you have to pee, I don't care, hold it. Now, we would just do it in such a sense because it's so easy just to go, ah, you know what, it's a good time to pee. I'm going to just go right now. And so they would just be getting up and continually walking. We go, hold on. When the word is being preached, unless you're going to wet your pants, we used to hand out diapers at the front. If you need to pee, here's a diaper. Put it on and have a seat. And if you got to pee, let her rip. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Nobody's going to say anything. But just don't get up when the word is being preached. And they would go, okay. Listen, we would have two-hour services with youth. Seriously, I'm talking about grade 7 to 12, and they would sit there. People would get filled with the Spirit. People would be hungry. They would be drawing out continually. It was amazing. We had a little mini revival going on with the youth. And why was it? Was it because God just supernaturally decided to, poof, I'm going to do something in that youth group? No, it's because the hearts of these kids just saying, I want him. And it became the very atmosphere of what that room was like. Every Wednesday, they would come. And not just Wednesday. They would come on Monday prayer at 6.30 a.m. before school. Then we would have Wednesday service. And then we had a Friday Bible study. Three nights or two nights and one morning a week is how they would be coming here. Regularly. Isn't that wonderful? And what is that? That's not a, you better get, you better do. It was, hey, they're actually the ones that started the prayer meeting. I just simply joined their prayer meeting. Because it was my job. You guys want to pray Wednesday? What? Why? <laughs> this is what we want to do. And I just thought, man, what a beautiful place. The word of God began to be a safe place to dwell richly on the inside of them. And just to hear how the things that they impacted their schools, how they impacted some family members. It's powerful. How did that all happen? Was it just some miraculous thing? They drew a hunger from him. They desired him. And my your role is to keep that passion burning, to keep that hunger for the word of God burning alive on the inside of me so that rather than going, oh, I guess I better do my devotion, I can't wait to do it. I'm looking forward to spending time with him. Guess who's in charge of that? Me. And the more that I spend some time in this word, guess what? He is going to actually take care of the, the desire or the longing for it over time. I have to just make myself available to this word. Does that make sense? So this is what you and I are doing this morning. We are opening up our hearts to say, Lord, we want your word. We want you. I desire you. Your presence is all that I need. It's all that I want. It's all that I seek. When that becomes not just a nice song that we play, when it becomes actually who we are, watch to see how God moves on your behalf. We just got to think, okay, God, I'm here to sing. I hope you do something good. That's not how this works. Book of Leviticus, chapter 10, verse 17. I'm going off of track here now a little bit. But God says to those, anywhere that I'm going to show up, I must be honored. I must be regarded as holy. There's a certain way. I mean, we've been talking about the grace of God. On the other side, what keeps us balanced, because if you just get all over in grace, you just kind of have had these, all these expectations, and gimme, 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 gimme. And on the other hand, what keeps you and I balanced is the reverence, fear of the Lord. Where I have this deep respect for God. I have a deep respect for his word. That what he says, Lord, I believe it regardless of how I feel, regardless of culture. Lord, you are worthy of respect. So when we sing a song, it's not like, well, fine, I'll do this. Lord, I I honor you. 
I will exalt your name. I will make you big. You are worthy because you're God and I'm not. So it keeps us good balanced. Not about you, but I desire this as a church family, that we become this Colossians 360, not just in paper, that it actually becomes the very atmosphere of what this room feels like. That anybody that comes into this place, yeah, you're going to feel like you belong here because the word has full access into us. And part of that is hospitality. That's how we roll. But this is huge. Lord, I want your word to permeate every aspect of my life. If there's something that your word doesn't say and that has a say in my life, I want it to have a say now. Maybe those little secret things that nobody else knows about. Anybody know those secret sins that we're talking about that nobody else knows? It's just between you and God and nobody understands or nobody knows. I'm talking about opening that up to the Lord and say, Lord, I want your word to permeate this heart. And he's not going to come in wacky. He's going to come in with his love, with his kindness, and he's going to show you another way. But we have to give him that place. Let the word, let it permeate you. Amen. Are we all good this morning? Okay. Now, here we go. So why is permanent residence important? Like the word of God richly dwelling on the inside of us? Because when the word is, is taking up residence on the inside of me, it protects me from drifting. I just find it is so easy in these last days that no matter who's speaking, it can sound so Christian, it can sound so right, but you know what? There's an evil demon talking behind that voice. How do we distinguish? How do we know what's the Spirit of God? And how do we know when it's the devil just trying to talk and throw you off key? I have to allow the Word to permeate me so that I hear and know what He says. Drifting from what? Because ultimately, drifting from what? I don't want to drift from him. So uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, this is again, you see this all throughout the New Testament. Every writer in the New Testament talks about contending for the faith, staying the course, hold tightly to the words that you've heard. Why? Because there is an enemy and he's doing everything he can to throw a little lie on the inside of you so that you hear it. And what happens? It alters the course. He's not going to come here and say, I'm the devil, come follow me. That's not how he does things. What's his role? Did God really say? That's not what he meant. And you, you are a super heathen. You're so good at sinners that sinners go, wow, you're good at that. That's how he talks to you. It is so subtle. It is so cunning. You know, my daughter said to me, it's, she said, he's really cheeky. He is. He's sneaky. He talks real, sounds real good, but there's no Bible in it at all. So what do we do? He said, this is why it is so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truths that we have heard so that we do not drift off course. So what keeps us from drifting is the truth that we hear from the word of God. That's the only tool that we see in the word of God that protects you and I from just walking away from just drifting. Listen, this, I, I, I know this is what we spend a lot of time doing, but I, I'm all for the jumping excitement. I, I love all that. We're, we have a lot of that. We're going to continue to do all that. But again, it's not how high you jump as a believer so people watch you. It's how straight you walk when you land. And how straight I walk is based on me being engaged and attentive to the truth that I heard from Jesus. 
So this is why it is crucial that you and I not just have a relationship with a church building. We have to have a relationship with the word for ourselves to protect us. Because listen, the devil is working. He's hungry. He's after. He wants your soul. He wants to just put that lie in there to get you off course. That no matter what comes your way, all of a sudden you are just, yeah, hey, I guess this is the way that it needs to be. And now rather than proclaiming the gospel, you start speaking something completely different. Sounds Christian, but it's not. And it can even be found in words like social justice. You have to keep your eye on some of those things. Does it come from the word of God? You're just saying be attentive to it. Follow what he says so that you're not missing the mark. Now, how did we get off on this? This is nowhere in my notes. So I'm just trying to find out where do I pick up from here? Okay. How do I avoid drifting? God's word, specifically the gospel of his grace, keeps me centered in the truth or the reality, and it keeps me close to him. Let's just turn here to John chapter 1. I don't think I'm going to get to my message today, but we'll just, we'll continue on. (laughs) We'll continue. Uh, John chapter 1, in verse, I don't don't think I put it on there. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you guys can go back to verse 14. I appreciate that you guys were ahead of me. Thank you down there. But verse 14, it says, And the Word, Christ, became flesh, and He lived among us, and we actually saw His glory, glory that belongs to the one and only begotten Son of the Father, the Son who is truly unique, the only one of His kind. Now notice what He's full of. He is full of grace and truth, absolutely free of deception. This is what He is. Verse uh, 16, for out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Can you see the giving side of God? Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace, say it with me, grace. Grace, unearned, undeserved favor of God and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, grace is not a topic. We know grace to be a person. And out of the teaching of grace is truth. So if we're not talking about grace, you're not going to hear truth. Because if you're not hearing grace, you're hearing law. You're hearing rules and obligations. Jesus came to establish grace. He came to reveal the Father. Look at verse 18. No one has seen God, his essence, his divine nature at any time. The one and only begotten God, that is the unique son, who is, keep going there guys, who is in the intimate presence of the father. Now notice Jesus, he has explained him. Say with me, he has explained him. The, Jesus explained the father. Actually, you could read it in Hebrews chapter 1 again if you turn there. Not now for your own reading time. But you see that Jesus was always on the Father, the tip of his tongue. The message of God is Jesus. If God were to come and preach a message this morning, if he were to show up on the, uh, go hang out here, what would he say? Jesus. See my son, hear my son. This is what's on the tip of God's tongue. Jesus. This is his message. Because Jesus was in the intimate presence of the Father. He has explained him perfectly and interpreted and revealed the awesome wonder of our Father. So what happens when we see him? What are we seeing? We're seeing the Father. 
I know you know this, but this has to go past just mental knowledge. When you see the actions of Jesus, when you see the talk of Jesus, the behavior of Jesus, and how kind and grace-filled his words, they were so powerful. Why? Because he was revealing the Father. This was his call. This was his purpose. So every time you see Jesus speak, every time you see his action, he's actually not just saying something nice. He's actually there to reveal someone, and he came to reveal the Father. And at the same time, he put a dent in religion constantly because the Father in heaven is not a religious God. He's a dad. And that's why the Jews had such a rough time because they viewed him as judge They knew him as God. And don't get me wrong. There's times when we approach him as he's the judge. He is. He is God Almighty. Absolutely is. But for you and I, living in this new dispensation called grace, he calls you child. And our response to him is not, uh, yes, yes, Almighty God. And there's times for that. Don't get me. But he wants you and I to approach him as, Papa, Papa, I can hang out with you. I want to have some dad time. That's what he loves, and that's how you and I experience the Father himself. Now, what we've taken some time over the last, you know, of this year is we've been on purposely, man, I'm, I don't know where I am. We have on purposely taken the time again and again to hear, because of what Jesus has done, I became his son. You became his daughter, his son. That's who you are. I am a child of Almighty God. Now, why? We've heard that so much, but it has to move beyond just mental knowledge or, yeah, that sounds good once in a while when it's brought up. It has to become the very air that you breathe. It becomes the world that you're more aware of. Listen, the, more, the, the, the dispensation or the, the world that you reveal is the one that you are more aware of. Do, are you aware of your sonship or your daughtership of the Most High God? Because listen, I even notice this in my own self. It's changing the way that I'm even relating to my children. When I'm more aware of my sonship with my heavenly father, it changes my perspective of how I even raise my own children. It changes the perspective when there's some nasty things that come against me or people say some harsh things against me. What matters? I'm a son. I'm a son. Go by you, blah, 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 and they can chirp all they want. But I'm a son. Who cares? And I, I've, I've only scratched, I think, like a millimeter into this thing, and I'm going, holy man, what have I, what have I missed? What, what's going on here? It's changed the way that I'm viewing life. People want to rip me off. I'm a son. <laughs> I'm a child of the most high God. And it starts to change the way that you think. And so that's our prayer that the Father himself will grant unto us as a church family a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the intimate knowledge of him. Not just knowledge about God, not just knowledge about what he can do, but I just pray this over even youth that's in this room, that you would understand the Father for yourself. <laughs> and this is what John was saying in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. The first word even in it, look. Can you just imagine, like, I'm just picturing John writing this letter. He's not just like, you know, some translations say, behold. You know, I don't think he was going, oh, behold. I think John was excited as he's writing this book. 
What's he trying to get his, I mean, the, the people that were under him that he oversaw the church of Ephesus at one point, and he just strongly desired for the church, look, 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 I saw Jesus on the cross myself. Why did he do all this? Because he was just some, the Romans didn't like him, the, 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 the priests didn't like him. No, he did this as a divine command from God Almighty. Look, look, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love. What's this love? That he has called me and he has made us his very own children. Then you read all of John and this is what he's talking about. Sonship and he calls you beloved. This word is highlighted all through the writings of John. Beloved, beloved, beloved. I think there's a picture he's trying to get to you and I. He's trying to get the body of Christ to see you are his beloved. You are his child. And he even goes on to say, now. The reason the world doesn't like you, the reason the world doesn't get you, is because they don't get him and they never saw him. They haven't come into a personal experience with the love of the Father that makes and calls you child. Yes, I came from John and Ingrid housing, but before even all of that, he saw me and he called me by name and he said, Joel Housing, Red Deer, Alberta, 1987, 18 Martin Close, and brrr, there's your, there's your childhood. He laid it all out there. Like kind of what Karen was saying this morning. It's no accident. Perfectly planned. Established from before the foundation of the world. And then he said, Joel, how's he going to see you during this time in 1987? I need you and I want you at this time. And while you're here, guess what? I see you with no fault. I see you without any guilt. I see you with no condemnation. In fact, I see you untouched by sin itself. The kingdom of darkness has no hold over you. Oh, he may try, but hey, just hang in there. It's going to be okay, John and Ingrid. It's just going to be okay. <laughs> and what happened? All it took, all it took was one word from God, and it changed the course of my life forever. A word that was spoken way before I was even thought of. Same with you. And now he's telling you and I, this is why we have to go to this word. Let this word have free access and let it permeate on the inside of you. Joel, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has poured out on you. Personalize this verse. Personalize John when he reads this. Yes, us, but more specifically, you. What did he do? He has called you and he has made you his very own beloved child. That's who I am. That's how he made me. And in a generation that the devil is screaming confusion about identity, whether it's sexual or whether it's color or whether it's race, whatever it is, the devil's just trying to squawk to try to mess up the main thing that God is interested in is identity. Who are you? I'm a child of God. That's who I am. That's where it begins. I'm a child of God. And the rest just follow suit. So much confusion. What is a man? What is a woman? They're stupid out there. Why? They can't figure anything out. Why? It's because they love darkness. And in darkness, you can't find any answers. Until you get called out of darkness and you get brought into light, you go, oh, that's what a dude is. That's what a female. Oh, I get it. So we don't condemn or judge a culture. They're lost. They are lost, lost, lost. So what do we do? It's a perfect opportunity for you and I to reveal the Father's love. 
But before we can do that, church, we have to know how much the Father loves you. You have to know that. Because in order to reach a generation that is dark and basically loveless, we have to know that I'm loved by God. Because the world, that first thing, they're going to give you lots of opportunity to get offended. They're going to give you lots of opportunity basically just to condemn them to hell. But that's not the way of Jesus. How can Jesus do? How could Jesus do all that he did yet sin not? The Father loves me. That's the very root and the source of your life. Now, look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul, again, words from the Holy Spirit, and he's telling this Corinthian church, I encourage you to read all of 1 Corinthians 6, because you find in there six times, don't you know, don't you know, don't you know, don't you know. Guess what? Don't you know. And lastly, don't you know. What's he trying to do? He is trying to reveal again the identity of the church. You were called out. You were taken out of all that sin, all that mess. You were taken out of that, and now you've experienced the grace of God. Don't you know who you are? <laughs> Remember hearing this story about this one boxer, and he was getting his butt absolutely kicked in the ring. And so again, they're going at it, and the ding, 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 bell goes down, and the guy flops into the chair sitting in the corner, and he's supposed to be the champion. And he's bloody all over, and all of a sudden, his boss, or his boss, his coach stands in front of him and just starts slapping him. Don't you know you got a right hook? Don't you know that we've been training for this for weeks and months and years? Don't you know that you have a great uppercut? Use it. Don't you know that you can also give him a good left when you got it? Give him some of those jabs. What's he doing? He's reminding him, don't you know the tools that you have? Don't you know what's ex what you have to your use? And this is what Paul is telling the church. I don't see it kind of like, a, don't you know? He's slapping the church. Don't you know that you are a child of the most high God? Don't you know that Jesus' blood purchased you? Don't you know that by his stripes you're healed? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? And this is the message that Paul has given to the church. Don't you know? So obviously there's some things that we don't know. And the main thing that he says near the end of it, he says, you were God's expensive purchase. Amen. Say it. I am God's expensive purchase. The most expensive thing that heaven ever bought was you and I. He bought me with what? Paid for with tears of blood. So by all means then, use your body to bring glory to God. The Aramaic says it like this. Um, you were purchased with the bride price, which is blood. Bride price. Bride price. I know some cultures, in order to pay for the woman you want to marry, you have to pay or give cattle or whatever have you. When I went to go ask Jamie's hand in marriage, I had to go ask her dad, and I was very, do you want a Subway gift card? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, have to, I didn't have to give him a cattle. I didn't have a cow. I didn't have anything like that. I just had to give my heart to say, hey, I love your daughter. And I will pledge to, and I, I basically proposed to him to have her. I said, this is what I'm saying. I love your daughter. This is who I will be. This is the man I believe God has called me to be, but I love your daughter. He says, and he just gave me a hug. I said, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But this is the same way for Jesus to buy you back. He didn't buy you with bull's blood. It was his own. Don't you know that? 
This will take suicide out of your brain. Don't you know blood of God purchased you? And not only that, it'll start changing the way that you walk. You got some swag in your walk now. I'm a child of God. This world is trying to put you down and what happens? Mm, I'm a child of God. Bop, bop, blood. I don't walk like that. That's just, that's just, that's messed up. I feel Silas's dagger eyes looking at me. Okay. But now I have only a few minutes, but the precious blood of Jesus is what purchased me. So for you and I, we have to know what has the blood of Jesus done for us. Number one, in Romans chapter five, verse nine, number one is this, I am justified and spared from God's wrath. Can you say that with me? I am justified and spared from God's wrath. This is who I am. So was God going to pour his wrath out on me, his son? But people love to talk that way. Oh, the wrath of God is just going to come upon this church. Are you kidding me? Do you know who you are? For the father to do that would be a dishonor to Jesus. And God isn't going to break his covenant with his son, Jesus. Don't care how nasty so-and-so is. God will not break his covenant. Jesus, or the, the word says this, there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard this powerful declaration. You are now righteous in my sight. And because of my good works, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I will never experience the wrath of God. Period. Now, again, we're talking about how did, I, how did God make me a son? How did he make me a daughter? Through the blood of his son. So this is a big deal in God's eyes. Church, we have to make what's a big deal in God's eyes has to be a big deal to us. So number one is that I am justified and spared by God's wrath. Number two, I am forgiven. Amen. Say it with me. I am forgiven. Not from sins that you did 10 years ago. Right now. I am forgiven. He said, he is rich in kindness and grace that he purchased my freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave my sin. He says that. So what do I do? I agree. I agree. Remember, in this dispensation of grace, where is belief seen? Or sorry, obedience seen? I gave you the answer. In my believing. So if I'm going to be an obedient child in this dispensation called grace, I have to look at that and say, I believe. To be disobedient would be to say, I don't believe that. You're only on one or the other. Do you believe that the blood saved you? That it purchased your freedom and it forgave your sins? Act like it. Believe like it. Talk like it. Oh, I just, I messed up again. Stop it. The blood of Jesus doesn't go, oh, you messed up again. He says, forgiven. So what do I do? Lord, I, I messed up on that. I want to thank you for the blood that has redeemed me. Lord, teach me how to live properly. Teach me how to do this right. That's how we do this. Next. My judgment has been satisfied, and I am at peace with God. Isaiah 53, 5 in the, in the Living Bible. It says, he, 
was wounded and bruised for, make us make it personal, for my sins. Sorry, can we read it together but personalize this? He was wounded and bruised for my sins. He was beaten that I might have peace. He was lashed and I am healed. Personalize it. This is what the blood did. Next, number four. I have the power to overcome the enemy. Come on, church, this is a great time to say it. I have power to overcome the enemy. How? Because in and of myself? No. Because they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So I have overcoming power over the enemy. So anytime he tries to poke his head out, what do I see? I already beat you. How? Through the blood and through what Jesus has already done. And I'm going to testify about it as soon as I see it manifested. (laughs) Okay. Continuing on. Number five, I am no longer under the curse of the law. Say with me, I am no longer under the curse of the law. I'm not cursed. People say, oh, you know, there's just so many generational curses. Do you know what the blood of Jesus has done? We're more aware of what so-and-so family member and great-grandpa and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa and how bad they were and how nasty that they were and the devil just went all the way through the family and here I am. Stop that. The blood of Jesus whooped Satan. Now you may have paired it or seen a few things how your folks maybe acted, but listen, I should go, hey, I've been free from anger. That's part of the curse. that's, That's part of the curse. I'm not under that. So instead, this is my confession. Christ paid the full price to set me free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in my place. For it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree uh, is doubtly cursed. Verse 14, Jesus, our or my Messiah, was crucified in my place. And in doing so, he dissolved the curse from my life. So that all the blessings of Abraham can be poured upon me, even as a non-Jewish believer. And now God gives me the promise of the wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within me, and I believe in him. That's who I am. Are we doing okay this morning? All I'm doing is just a couple of don't you knows. I'm giving you some uppercuts, some left hooks, some right hooks. I'm just reminding you this morning of who you already are. This is not something that you are attaining to. This is who you are right now because God made you and called you this way. Next, I only have three more. Are you okay to give me three more? I'll read them real quick. Next, I am no longer a stranger to the covenant of promise and I have been brought close. Ephesians chapter 2, 12 and 13 says, Now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Say it. I have now been... No, I have been united with Christ Jesus. Now I'll just read this. Once you were, or I was far away from God, but now I have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Next, the final act of purification has been made on my behalf. I am pure forever. Say with me, I am pure forever. Some of you may go, why are you making us say this? Your tongue is the pen for your heart. 
How do you get things established on the inside of you? This is your tongue. I ask my kids this all the time. Okay, kids, get your pens ready. All right, we do this every morning, every night. I want you, get your pens. Now say this boldly. I am pure. What are you doing? You're writing it. That's who I am. You're not dirty. You're not just some addicted pervert. I'm pure. Say, I'm pure. God did this. For the life of the body is in the blood, and I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes the purification process happen. I'm pure. Next, I have a clear state. Sorry, I have a clear slate with God. Out of sheer generosity, He put me in right standing with Himself. Oh, <laughs> a pure gift. He got me out of the mess that I was in, and He restored me to where He always wanted me to be. And He did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear Joel of sin. Having faith in him sets me free in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public, next one, to set the world, to set Joel in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins that he had so patiently endured. I'm free. How is this going to impact my marriage? Or how is this going to help me financially? When you get a right mindset on all these things, you start living a whole lot differently. You are worthy because he made you worthy. Last one, it says this, my redemption will never, ever perish. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. My life is a journey that I must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get me out of that dead end, empty-headed life that I grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, I know. <laughs> he died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. So what do I do? Whenever the accuser of the brethren, and listen, that's what he's good at, he accuses. Do you remember what you, do you remember how you said? Do you remember what you did? Do you remember that nasty thing that nobody knows about? You know that hidden secret that not even your wife or husband even knows about? You know all of that? What do you do at this moment? I plead the blood. Say with me, I plead the blood. God did the work. He paid the price through Jesus to pour out his love and his will on me. All you and I do is we simply respond to the kindness that he gave. So can we all stand up? I'm finished right now.